Good morning, everyone. I hope that you are doing well. Probably sitting down on your couch with a cup of coffee right now. And I just want to say again how much I miss you guys. I, I can't wait for the time that we can once again be all here in the same room and worship the Lord together in person with each other. Anyways, today is the last part of our four-part series on our core values. And today we're going to be talking about our value of being contributors. But just as a recap, our first three, first one was being gospel-driven. Then we talked about how we are uh, want to be relational. Thirdly, how we value being multipliers. And today, finally, we are contributors. So you can open your Bibles up to Romans 12, where we'll be spending our time this morning. And as you turn there, I want to tell you a story about my second ever Christmas. So I was one and a half years old. This is my first Christmas where I was kind of semi-aware what was going on. I was also at that point a spoiled only child who was very used to getting all of the attention from my mom and my dad. I didn't have any siblings competing with me. And as new parents, they thought I was cute. And so they gave me a lot of attention. So when Christmas morning rolled around, I got my first ever Christmas presents. It was a shiny new Fisher-Price farm set. And there's a picture of one on the screen. If you had this exact same farm set as a kid or in your house somewhere, leave a comment. Um, It's pretty common. I know a bunch of my friends had the same one. Then I opened up another awesome present. It was a big bin of mega blocks that looked kind of like this one. Anyways, uh, my parents were expecting me to open, this, open these presents up and be really excited and want to start playing with them right away, especially since I was uh, really into farms as a one-year-old, I guess. And to this day, I still enjoy building Lego sets from time to time, and I got one for Christmas this year. Uh, the reaction they got from me, however, was not exactly excitement. Instead of getting excited to play with my new stuff, I turned to my mom and dad and looked them right in the eyes, and in my one-and-a-half-year-old voice, I looked at them and I said, more. Now, the point is that as a very young kid, uh, really still a baby, I, I I had absolutely no understanding of what it meant to be a contributor in a family, to contribute to the family. I was used to receiving attention and getting my mom and my dad to run to me at my beck and call, Uh, every time I cried to change my diapers and to feed me and put me to bed and all that. And I didn't do anything for them. It was all get and no give. And that's okay because I was a baby. But as as I grew older, I was expected to help out more. I began by making my bed and cleaning my room and then doing laundry and mowing the lawn. And As we grow and mature in our faith, it's important that we continue to grow in our ability to contribute to our church family as well. Just as we all grow in our ability to contribute to our nuclear families or the families that we grew up with, we need to learn how to grow and contribute more and more to our church family, working as a team to get everything done. I think the problem, though, is that a lot of us tend to have this kind of more view of church. We're very happy to come to church and we expect to receive good teaching and listen to good worship and get encouragement from the people uh, that we see every week without ever really thinking how we're also called to participate in that and not only to receive these amazing gifts of being together, but also to give to that as well. 
We're called to participate in this community, this family. And um, it's, it's an issue when we, we always want to get more but never give more. However, as we look at Romans 12 today, we'll see that we're called to be contributors in this family of the church. It's impossible to be a Christian, to be a member of the church and have this more attitude. Instead, and here's the big idea for today, as followers of Jesus and members of the church, we are called to be contributors. As followers of Jesus and members of the church, we are called to be contributors. And with that, let's begin reading uh, Romans 12, starting in verse 3, and we'll go to the end. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, if service in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so the first thing we see in this passage, right off the bat in verse 3, we see the obstacle to our contribution. Perhaps it's the only obstacle contribution to our contribution, and that is pride. As you read again, just look back at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The obstacle of our con- to our contribution is pride. The very first thing that Paul starts off this section by saying is it's a warning. It's, it's don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but think with sober judgment. And I think the language that he uses here is very interesting. He doesn't, think, he doesn't say, don't think of yourself too highly, but be humble. He says, but think with sober judgment. 
In other words, pride and sober judgment or sobriety are opposites of each other. If you think about it, this is, this is really true. Pride can make us drunk, distorting our view of ourselves, of other people, and of God. This can happen in several ways, and uh, for some people it may manifest itself in arrogance. Some people uh, turn to self-loathing or um, low self-esteem. Others turn to being overly critical of people, and it goes on. Pride can manifest itself in many different ways. And do those, do those things ever describe you? One way that I think pride is often an obstacle to us as a church being contributors is by having an overly busy schedule. We're so busy that we don't have time to do anything for anyone else, but instead we're just scrambling to get our own work done. And uh, you might be saying to yourself right now, how does, how does having a busy schedule have anything to do with pride? I can't help that I've got a demanding job and kids that need to be fed and a family to spend time with, finances to manage. Uh, if I do have any free time, I'd much rather, you know, sit on the couch with a good book and a latte or turn on the football game. I don't really want to be spending more time doing more work at church. And I don't want to tell you that the only possible reason that you have a busy schedule is because you're prideful. Um, I'll admit it, I I don't know how time-consuming being a parent is because I've never been a parent. And I don't know what having an 80-hour-a-week job is like. What I do know is that most of us have more time than we think we do. For many of us who are feeling short on time and high on hurry, it's we either uh, don't schedule our time very well or perhaps we're bad at saying no to things that we don't have time for, or uh, maybe this describes you, you have a, I can get it done better than anyone else, so I'll just do it myself kind of attitude. Those things, if you really think about them, are all rooted in pride. I, for one, am, I'm guilty of all of those things at, at some point or another, and I'm, I'm sure if you think about them in your own life, uh, you'll see that they might be true as well for you. I think pride is probably the most common issue for our more view of the church. And that's why Paul addresses this right off the bat. As, as Christians and as people in general, we need to kill our pride. And if you can do that, church will become much easier for you to love and also a lot more exciting to be a part of. Pride is the obstacle to our contribution. The obstacle to many more things as well. And uh, yeah, let's read on. Starting in, uh, let's continue, verse 4, and we'll read to verse 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now these verses here really describe the why uh, the why we are supposed to be contributors. It's the reason. So the reason for our contribution is our identity in Christ. In verses 4 and 5, we see that Paul uses this language of 
the body, the body of Christ. And this is a pretty common metaphor that he uses throughout many of his letters in the New Testament. He says that we're one body in Christ and we're so members one of another. And let's break this down a little bit. Let's, what does this mean uh, to be one body in Christ? So to start in verse 4, uh, it says we're in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So if you think about everyone you know at this church, or even everyone that you know in your own family, everyone is different. Everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses that they bring to the table, their individual quirks that make them unique. And so what Paul is saying here is that although we're all part of the same body, the body of Christ or the church, we're all different. And that's a really good thing. If we were all the same, we would have these massive blind spots, these massive weaknesses that we'd really have no way to overcome, but together we are stronger. Uh, for example, my dad, he's really good at fixing, thing, fixing things. He's, he's a kind of jack-of-all-trades handyman, and we never had a handyman uh, that we had to hire come over to our house when I was growing up because he just knew how to do it. Um, but if we were going to rely on his cooking skills, I probably would have grown up on a steady diet of zoodles and Dollarama sardines, because he loves those for some reason. Together, though, we are stronger, wiser, and better off. Can you imagine a body, to go back to that metaphor of the body, can you imagine a body that is made up of all hands, or all feet, or all ears? That would be a weird-looking thing, and it would, it would pretty much be useless. Every single one of us is absolutely valuable and important to this church family. And every time someone leaves the church, for whatever reason, we lose something. Every time someone comes into this church family, we gain something. It's this kind of collaborative, mosaic type of unity that Paul describes in verse 5 as being one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Another way to put this, and I, I like this language, is that we belong to each other. This is a really beautiful part of being, being the church. You belong here. I belong here, and we belong to each other. That's exactly why membership is so important. That's why we're having membership classes periodically as many times as we can, really, throughout this, the year. Membership is formally aligning yourself with everyone here. It's taking that mutual responsibility that we have to love one another, that we have to be members one of another and making it official. We have a mutual responsibility to stick up for each other, to have each other's backs, but also to hold each other accountable. Uh, and if, if you're listening, Alex prayed something similar to this uh, in his prayer. Uh, these days, I think, especially on, on social media, we're far too often guilty of tearing each other down and arguing poorly as members of the same body. But instead, we have this uh, mutual responsibility to hold each other accountable, yes, but in a loving way. We have to stick up for each other, to have each other's backs. And in a few verses, starting in verse 9, we'll, we'll see how uh, that love plays itself out in action, the specifics of what that looks like. Because, that we, because we are members of the same body, we can't just sit back and consume. We all have to be active contributors in our church family. And I'll admit, it's a little bit weird preaching that as you sit back and consume this content from your couch. Uh, but there are still ways, although we're doing it virtually, to be contributors to this church family. 
in the exact same way that a nuclear family, everyone in it works, uh, does the chores and helps out to make everything uh, move forward, we too as a church family have very similar responsibilities. And now uh, moving on to verse 6, 7, and 8, these are pretty fascinating to me. I'd, I'd just like to point out here that these verses are not a separate paragraph from what we were just talking about, but the same one. This means that they're a continuation of Paul's thoughts here, this reminder of our identity in Christ. So let's read verses 6 to 8 again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. These gifts here are exactly what I was just talking about in ways that we are unique. If you're a Christian, the moment you were saved, you were given uh, one gift or several gifts uh, to help, that you're supposed to use to help build up the church. Or in our words for today, be a contributor here. We've already seen in our Acts series that uh, the members of the early church modeled this. Paul and Barnabas and Peter and Philip all used their gifts to do the work of the church, to contribute to building the kingdom. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, and Paul lists a few of the spiritual gifts here as examples. And now remember, these gifts are a part of our identity in Christ. It's not a separate paragraph, it's the same one. They're a part of our identity in Christ. And what this means is that uh, your gifts, that your spiritual gifts are intricately connected to who you are as a Christian. We have them because we are saved and we have to use them because we are saved for the purpose of contributing to the church. There are a ton of spiritual gifts. There's more than are listed here. And you may have one or you may have several. But the point is that you need to and you get to use them for God and his people. And the reason I said get to, by the way, is, is because there's absolutely nothing more fulfilling than using your gifts, uh, finding your sweet spot in the church to um, build it up and love people uh, like only you can. Now, uh, the point of this sermon isn't necessarily to do an exhaustive uh, lesson on spiritual gifts, so we're not going to do any inventories or lists or things like that. But you should get this down. Your gifts are for building up, expanding, and encouraging the church. Many of you likely already know what your gifts are, and that's awesome. If you don't, and if you're a Christian, if you don't know exactly what your gifts are, uh, this is my advice to you. This is what I did. Um, and it worked for me. Just start serving. Try a whole bunch of different things out. Uh, try serving on the welcome team or uh, setting up chairs and tearing down chairs. Cook a meal for someone and bring it to their house. Um, who's having a hard time right now, maybe just, just start serving. You will quickly find out what you're good at and um, probably what you're not good at as well. And what you love doing and what you don't love doing. After that, um, another great way to kind of figure out your gifts is to just seek the affirmation of Christians that you respect. Uh, oftentimes, we receive confirmation of what our gifts are when people tell us that we're good at something or that they really appreciate our efforts in this specific area. I don't know about you, but I am a terrible self-diagnoser. I usually need people to tell me that something's wrong with me or that I'm doing something wrong or that I'm doing something well. 
And the affirmation of other Christians has been a huge blessing in my life, and I know it will be a huge blessing in yours. It's just another reason why we all need to be together uh, to be part of this same body, to encourage one another and to affirm one another in our gifts. In fact, the affirmation of several other Christians is one of the main reasons why I'm even up here today. I was encouraged in high school to join the worship team on, at, in youth, and then I was encouraged to start singing and praying up front, and then Bible college, and, and now here I am. It is an amazing opportunity to be involved in a family of contributors where every person is passionate about seeing everyone else grow in their faith and love and abilities to contribute to our church. All right, so far we've covered the obstacle to our contribution, pride. And now we've looked at the reason for our contribution, our identity in Christ, and the gifts that we use in light of that identity. And now, finally, we turn to the mark of our contribution. This is what should be characterizing our contribution. It is Christ-like character. So the mark of our contribution is Christ-like character. Before we read verses 9 to 21 again, I want to say that all of the things listed here, and there are a lot of them, can be summed up by saying live like Jesus. But uh, that's a little bit too vague, in my opinion, and you probably already know that. And while we don't have time to necessarily uh, go through all of these things thoroughly, uh, let's just take a deeper dive on a few of them. And as we do this, I want, to ref- I want you to reflect on how you're doing personally in that particular area. I, I don't, it's now, now it's not the time to be thinking about how, oh, it would be really good if this person was listening because they really need to improve in this area. Don't be thinking about that person or, or why he or she could really grow, but I want you to be uh, reflective here, introspective and honest uh, with yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment as we think through these marks of Christ-like character together. And right away in verse 9, He says, let love be genuine. This is maybe a bit of a weird statement to start out with. In a church, we talk a lot about uh, loving our neighbor and loving God and all that, but Paul wants to double down and make sure that our love for one another isn't just a show that we put on. That doesn't mean that it shouldn't be public and visible. It, It really should be. Especially to a watching world, our love for one another is one of the greatest testimonies that we can have. But our love is not something that we get to turn on on Sunday while we see each other and then we idle from Monday to Saturday. Love needs to be real, not put on. Notice that there's also no direct object here. There's no qualifier. It's not love for a particular person. It's not specifically love for God or specifically love for the church or for people. It's, it's all of them. And it's stated in this kind of general way, let love be genuine so that we don't get to make these qualifiers and, and say, oh, well, she gave me a dirty look at work last week, so I'm going to kind of snuff her from this genuine love thing. We need to have genuine love, period. Our love must be genuine love for God. It must be genuine love for our neighbors. And it must be genuine love for our friends and for the church. Do you, do you really love people? Do you truly love God? Or are you maybe coasting in that area right now? Or, or even worse, are you faking it? I've heard before that 
Uh, the people that love you most are the ones willing to be on the opposite end of the couch uh, as they help you move. And this is because love needs to manifest itself into practical action. In the same way, we as the church, if we're truly going to love God, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and our neighbors, we need to be willing to put our love into action. When Rachel and I uh, recently moved to a new place recent, uh, just a couple months ago, two different families brought us meals without ever being asked. Um, we didn't have a table moved over yet. We didn't have cutlery. We were spending some time kind of painting and, and fixing up the place a little bit. And these people brought us meals out of just kind of the, the love that they had for us. And this is an, that's just an example of love in action. As Christians, if we're called to let our love be genuine, we need to develop this type of love, this natural response to practically care and provide for those who are in need, whether that need is big or small. In verse 9, it's a big one. This statement is a big one. There's a reason why uh, Jesus in Matthew 22 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Genuine love for God and for other people is absolutely crucial to being a Christian. If we aren't marked by love, then we are failing hard. The good news is that if we do get to a point where we're marked by love, a genuine love for God and people, the rest of these things listed here, are what flows out of that love. But how do we get there? How do I develop my love for people? Um, well, my answer to you would be pray for it. Um, in, in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, Paul says this. He says, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, that is, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul here prays to, uh, for the, uh, the Thessalonian church that their love would increase for one another. And we need to also be doing the same thing. Pray that our love would increase for each other. To be honest, it's not always easy to love other people. Um, but as we reflect on the amazing love that we were uh, first shown in Jesus, um, it becomes a lot easier. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And that gospel love, the love that Jesus Christ showed us by dying on the cross for our sins and resurrecting and making a way for us to spend eternity with him in heaven is love put into action. It's the model that we've been given in Jesus Christ and it's what we are supposed to model for one another. Let's read on and you'll see that it's true. So let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Now let's pause there for a quick second. I hope you notice that all of those things, all of these marks of Christ-like character here, are impossible if we don't have a genuine love for other people and for God. And if you just just think about it, if you contribute to the needs of the saints, if you contribute to the needs of our church and seek to show hospitality, you can't really do that well unless you love the church, unless you love the people that uh, you're caring for. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You can't love someone that's persecuting you without a genuine love for God first and love for people. These things here are all characterized by love. And that is also true for these uh, last two verses, but I wanted to single them out a little bit and take a little bit more time to explain them because there is a weird statement here. So verse 20, it says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And here's the weird statement, For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but, be, but overcome evil with good. Okay, heat burning coals on someone's head. That is, that's, that's a weird thing to say. It doesn't really sound super Christ-like. I'm assuming Kyle doesn't want me to, burn, to throw burning coals on his head right now. I don't think he would uh, think that I love him very much if I did that. Is Paul giving permission here for us to kind of use kindness as revenge? Maybe that is more vindictive. Unfortunately, For those of us who would love to be given biblical permission to be petty, that's not the case. So what does this phrase to to heap burning coals on someone's head mean? Well, in the context of this very passage, we've already read, uh, bless those who persecute you, repay no one evil for evil, and never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. So revenge is, is definitely not what he's talking about here. Some scholars and I agree with them. Look to the various ways that coals and fire were used in the Old Testament in relation to purification of sins. And these uh, references, these metaphors can give us clues as to what he means here. Uh, For example, in Isaiah 6, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah sees the Lord in all his glory in a train of his robe filling the temple. And as he gazes upon the glory of the Lord, he is suddenly hit with the realization that he is sinful. And he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. My people are a people of unclean lips. He feels the depravity of his sin. He feels so unworthy before a perfect and holy God. And immediately after he says this, an angel comes and touches his lips with a burning coal and tells them and tells him, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And similarly, In Malachi 3, the prophet uses the language of the refiner's fire that will purify and refine the people of God to righteousness. And so looking back again at verse 20 here, we can see how this kill them with kindness sort of method, this this burning coals metaphor isn't um, talking about amplifying guilt or to make yourself feel like the bigger person, but instead to pour out the grace and love that we have been shown by Jesus in order to bring the offending person to want that same grace and love. 
It's for the purpose of reconciliation between you and the offending person and between the offender and God. In the exact same way that a burning coal, although perhaps painful, uh, purified Isaiah's sin. And if, if that idea wasn't quite clear, Paul repeats more or less the same thing in the next verse. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now, this is a big list. And it, it might seem a little bit overwhelming, but remember, this is really a very specific list of one thing. Let your love be genuine. This genuine love must be a marker of everything that we do. It's how we overcome the obstacle to our contribution, which is pride. It's how we live out our identity in Christ as individual members of one another and as members of the body of Christ. It's how we use the gifts that God has given us. It's how we live our lives marked by Christ-like character. And this is exactly the picture of what the church can be. It's what the church should be. Very quickly, I just want to acknowledge that if you are not a Christian, um, you have probably seen and or experienced and or felt Christians that are living in ways that are, are the exact opposite of what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, perhaps it's been a deterrent for you to, be, come to come to church or really be interested in Jesus because you see all these Christians that are, um, you've been hurt by them. They've, they've been hateful or arrogant or whatever. Um, and to you, to those of you who may be feeling this way, I want to tell you that those people that offended you are either one, not actual Christians, uh, but people who use the name of Jesus for power and manipulation, or two, and this is the more common one, I am included in this category from time to time, Christians who have momentarily or long-term forgotten how they're supposed to be living and that is completely and utterly wrong. This passage we've read through this morning is proof. It's the picture of what the church can and should be. It's how uh, we as Christians should be striving to live. And I genuinely believe, maybe this is biased, but I genuinely believe that this is what Heritage Grace Church is like. Uh, I, I genuinely believe that Heritage Grace Church is a great example of all these things that we've been talking about this morning in, in verses, uh, well, the whole thing. No, we're not perfect by any means. We mess up, but we're trying our best to live lives marked by love together in community. And if being a part of a community like that sounds really amazing, and spoiler alert, it is, I'd encourage you to stick around and see for yourself. Keep watching the live stream. Come to our in-person services once we're allowed to open up again. Feel free to email me uh, if you want to talk more about this. I'd love nothing more than to talk about anything and everything that I've mentioned today. And now for those of you who are members of Heritage Grace Church, I'd like us to conclude by reading our church covenant together. It's basically the commitment that we've made uh, out of this passage to live Romans 12 out as a church. Instead of being a church that sits back and consumes and has this more attitude, uh, we are called to contribute to this church. And this covenant is our formal commitment to do that together. And if you're a Christian, but not a member yet, I'd encourage you to read along and reflect on, on the things that we've said in this covenant. It's not a specific HGC thing. 
uh, but these are general Christian principles that everyone should be stri- but that everyone should be striving to live like. Maybe ask yourself if you can or if you make if you should make this kind of commitment to the church, this formal uh, covenant of membership where the lines are no longer blurry, but you know who you are committed to, to and who has committed to you. So, uh, without further ado, let's, let's read this church covenant together. We have, by God's grace, been brought to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have confessed our faith in Jesus by baptism and we affirm our union with him and in his people in our ongoing participation in the Lord's Supper. We do now, in dependence upon his spirit, solemnly and joyfully make this covenant with each other. We will submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final word on all matters of life and doctrine. We will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and will use our words to build up one another and glorify God rather than speaking lies, deceit, slander, or gossip, managing conflicts or disputes by actively seeking reconciliation and restoration as taught and modeled in the scriptures. We will walk together in love as Christ commands with humility and gentleness, caring for and encouraging each other, and forgiving and admonishing one another as occasion requires. We will not neglect to gather together and we will faithfully pray for one another. We will endeavor to lead those in our care in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as well as to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and with tenderness and sympathy bear one, another, bear one another's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by God's help to live carefully in this world, denying ungodliness and worldly passions. We will, seek to, we will strive sorry, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We will maintain and defend a Christ-exalting ministry in our worship, ordinances, dis- discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully, generously, and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the needs of our neighbors. We will proclaim the gospel in our homes, neighborhoods, and to the ends of the earth in whatever way the Lord enables us. We will, if we leave this congregation, join another gospel-preaching church as soon as possible where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you now acknowledging that what we've heard this morning seems like quite the task. There was a lot of things said here that, uh, Lord, we admit to you we're not good at, that we fail at regularly. We are often not good at loving you. We're not good at loving the church. We're not good at loving really anyone. We're inclined often to love ourselves more than anyone else. So God, we pray uh, that you would increase our love for one another, that you would increase our love for you. And Lord, would you enable us to put this love into action um, to everyone that we meet Because you have first loved us, Lord, we want to show that love to everyone and anyone that we come in contact with. 
Lord, would you help us to increase our humility to think with sober judgment and kill our pride as it's, the often, uh, it's often the obstacle that we face when it comes to loving each other. And Lord, uh, for those of us who know what our spiritual gifts are, would you allow us to use them with passion, with encouragement, um, with regularity to contribute to this church body? And Lord, for those of us who um, do not know what our gifts are, Lord, I just ask that you would reveal them to us as we serve in our church. Um, and I pray that, Lord, these gifts would be used to encourage us to edify the church body and to be an amazing example of your love to everyone we meet. Would HGC, would Heritage Grace Church be a light in Kitchener, Waterloo area? Uh, would people, when they think of Heritage Grace, would they think of people that love each other truly and genuinely? In Jesus' name,